Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in this series that talks about the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And it's, it's how to get through the darkness. Now here's what I can tell you. Some of you have walked in here today, you don't need this. You, you, you've been in this series and you're like, I don't know what Brett's talking about. You know, my life is good. I don't have any problems. It's all, it's all, you know, like we refer to around here, it's all up and to the right. It's, everything's good. I don't have any problems. It's, it's wonderful. Um, but as I am want to say often, just stick around. A, a time is coming when it won't be as awesome. A time is coming when it will get a little darker for you. And in those times, the lessons we're learning in this series will become very, very meaningful for you. And if you're here right now and, you know, life is good and you don't have any problems, you should still pay attention because you likely know people who need to hear what we're going to talk about today. And you can be the one that can deliver that message to them. So we're looking at the seven statements of Jesus from the cross of Christ leading up to Easter. And we all have bad days. We all have different levels of bad days. You know, for some of you, it could be something like this. You wake up and you just have it on your mind that it's, it's, it's a day for Chick-fil-A, right? Or my, my sister-in-law refers to it as the Lord's chicken. That's what she calls it, the Lord's chicken. I heard that and I'm like, what, Lord's chicken? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you just, you can't get your mind off of it. Oh, I want to get, and I'm going to go get Chick-fil-A and I'm going to get the waffle fries and, and the special sauce and all that kind of, it's just going to be wonderful. And then it dawns on you, oh, it's Sunday and they're closed. And you go, oh, now I'm having a bad day. Now that's a form of a bad day. But that pales in comparison to a day where you've got a really big meeting, you live in Terre Haute, and you've even left early for the meeting so you're not late, but then you hit one of those railroad crossings where the train comes to a complete stop. Like you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, do you? <laughs> and and the, the cars are hemming you in and there's no place for you to go. Wasn't it Dillinger that said he would never rob a bank in Terre Haute? Did he say that? Because yeah. of the trains? Yeah, yeah. Why would we ever set a meeting time in Terre Haute? I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to get there. You know, church, whenever, just come. Whenever the trains let you go, you just come to church. And, and you're going to be late. And now it's, you've got to text somebody, hey, I'm going to be late. And now you get there, and they've already started, and you're, you're all discombobulated and fumbling around, and you're upset. And that's a form of a bad day. Certainly worse than not being able to get Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. But then there are other days that are even worse than that. And Jesus went through one way, way, way worse than that. He experienced a really bad day, a darkness like we can't even imagine on what we would refer to as Good Friday. Hebrews chapter 12 is our anchor verse for this series. We've been returning, it, returning to it every week. I want to read it to you again this morning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's really the theme of this whole thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So we're studying how God did what he did. We're studying how Jesus went through it. How did he navigate the darkness? How did he get through one of the toughest days that anybody in all of mankind has ever experienced? We've documented this pretty well. The bleeding, the bruising, the, the crown of thorns, the scourging that 
most men didn't live through, this brutal form of punishment. The crown of thorns, beaten, hurting, suffering, awful. And then we're told in the scriptures that it would get even worse because about noon, a darkness comes over the land. And I don't care who you are, as you stood there watching all of this unfold, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know how it could get much worse. Now you're thinking, oh my, this has never happened before. And I've even watched documentaries where scientists try to figure out exactly what was going on at the crucifixion of Christ when it got as dark as it got. It's interesting the explanations they come up with, and they may or may not be right. I don't know. Um, but maybe you've been there before. You're going through something that's really, really hard. You're feeling beyond hopeless. You're feeling as if there is nobody that can help you. And to top it all off, now it gets really dark. And what you thought couldn't get any worse now starts to get worse and worse. And then you start using words like worser. It's really bad. You didn't know it could get that bad. Jesus hung there in the darkness and he makes a statement that is probably as relatable a statement to us as anything that he ever says. Because we've all wanted to say it. Some of us have said it, and maybe some of us haven't felt the liberty to say it. Now, I was raised in church. I mean, raised in church. I don't know when was my first Sunday. It was quick, I can promise you, because my mama didn't miss. And I remember I was, my early years were spent at the Camelsburg Christian Church. It still stands today. I've showed you a picture of it before in a video that I did one time, I was standing in front of the church, but um, it was built, I think it was built in the late 1800s. It's a big, beautiful structure. It's majestic. It's in this little town, this little one-horse, one-stoplight town. It's beautiful. And, and in, we met in the basement. The kids met in the basement, and they tried to fix it up as nice as they could, but it was dark and dank, and, you know, um, I remember that there was a window up high and you could see the feet of people as they walked by on the, on the sidewalk. That's how we were, so we were below that level. You could just see them walking by. And up close to that ledge, the teacher, Mrs. Christian, was my first, the first teacher I remember. Sunday school teacher, her name was Mrs. Christian. You think my bringing up wasn't Christian? Absolutely. Mrs. Who, who, really cool story. She got to hear me preach before she died. She told my mom, she said, this one's going into ministry. And uh, when I was a youth pastor at Reddington, she was able to come over and hear me preach. It was a wonderful day. But she's gone on to be with Jesus. But I, Mrs. Christian would let us play with the Play-Doh, and she would use the flannel graph to teach us about Jesus. And, and uh, you know, just wonderful. And I don't ever remember Mrs. Christian telling me that I couldn't question God. I don't ever remember her saying, now, Brett, this is something you can't say, or this is something you can't do. I grew up with a great, I don't mean good, I mean a great pastor. He's a little famous, not in national circles, but regionally kind of famous. My youth pastor was a great youth pastor. I had a youth pastor before most churches ever had a youth pastor. So I was very fortunate, and I know I was fortunate, and those guys poured into me, but they never, I don't ever remember them telling me that this was something that I couldn't say 
But it's just something that you just knew instinctively that you weren't supposed to do. It was something that you just should never do. You might think some things, but you were, some things you were, you, you, you know, you kind of reached the conclusion. Some things are better left unsaid. And so this was kind of fell into that category. We were raised with a reverence and a fear of God and a respect for him. And I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think we probably could do a little bit more in that area of teaching our own kids a fear and a reverence and a respect for God. Now, you've got to explain to them what kind of fear we're talking about because people get a little wonky on that. I'm not talking about, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, the way people look at God. I'm not talking about actually fearing God. I'm just talking about having a respect, understanding who he is, seeing his sovereignty. But then you come across something that Jesus said in Matthew 27 And there in the darkness, on the cross, alone, dying, in pain, in shame, Jesus says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have likely been there. I have. I've been in that place where I felt like saying that. I didn't think I had permission On more than one occasion, I felt like that. Likely, you have too. In this moment, Jesus does two things. He, first of all, sets an example for us. He shows us what is possible, and then he gives us permission to question God. Jesus, who was fully God himself, also fully man, says something, and I don't even think that Jesus said anything else that was as human a statement as this. He's identifying with us, and he's showing us the the powerful truth that we can aim our hardest questions at God, not man. You don't have to save those for man. You can ask them right to God. He can handle our questions. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our confusion, our pain. And when you are in that moment, and there is no earthly answer for you, and you're just asking these questions out into the ether, and many of us know what that feels like, There is no answer we can find. There is no person we can turn to. There isn't a doctor to answer the question. No pastor that we can find can answer some of our questions. But we can cry out to God and we can put that on him. Just like Jesus did on the cross. You go through some horrific things. Something that your brain just almost refuses to let you believe. You're trying to reconcile it in your head, and it just seems irreconcilable. And there's this moment where your brain has to reconcile this truth that you just don't want to be true. There is shock. There is anger. There is disbelief. And how can this get any worse? And you wake up the next day, and it's worse. And the next day's worse than that. And you just, it defies logic how it could have gotten any worse from earlier in the week. And lo and behold, here we are on Friday and we are in the depths. What do you do? What do you do when God doesn't make sense? And life doesn't make sense? And the answers won't come. When the darkness comes and it feels like God has abandoned us, when we feel like God has forsaken us and there is no hope and there is no way out. I've been there. Likely you have too. I want to start today by giving us three things that you can do when God doesn't make sense. First one is this. 
Trust in his nature. You have to trust in his nature. You have to trust in who God really is. Now, some people have a really skewed version of who God is. Some people, um, you know, they just think that God is this angry, otherly being that has a lightning bolt in one hand and a hammer in the other. And he's just scanning the earth for somebody to step out of line. And when they do, he releases the lightning and he drops the hammer. Some people, that's how they see God. I'm just telling you that if you have that view of God, that is the most unbiblical view of God you can have. Now, at that point, somebody says, oh, I don't know, Brad, have you read the Old Testament? Let me just help you with this, okay? The Old Testament was not written to you. It wasn't. It was written for another group of people. So, The New Testament was written for us. We are under a different covenant. So when you read certain things in the Old Testament and it seems that God is harsh or it seems that God is mean or he's, you know, it's a God that you don't recognize or understand, understand that that was for a different people in a different time. And there's an awful lot that goes into uh, interpreting and, and understanding and beyond even what I can explain to you, but certainly beyond the scope of what we can do in here this morning. But when you come to the New Testament, what you find is God, that is not, God is not a God with lightning in one hand and a hammer in the other. God is a, he's completely different than that. So who is he? Who, let, let's go to scripture and let's see who God really is. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who God is. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's his nature. John uh, 1.4 says, God is love. That's who he is. That's his nature. God is a good God. He is compassionate. He is love. There is no evil in God, only good. We have to trust God. When you're hurting, you have to trust God the nature of who God is. Second thing is this, trust in his promises. What are the promises of God? What does his word say? Because right now, Brett, I can't see it. Right now, I don't feel it. I'm hurting. So I, I need, Brett, I need some help. I need you to speak into this because this is, this is going south for me in a hurry. What does scripture tell us? Well, 2 Corinthians says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So while I'm hurting, I've got to trust in the promises of God. Hebrews 13, the second part says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But Brett, I feel forsaken. I I don't feel like he's here. Trust me. I've been there. I I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like for God to to not seem real, but you you can't go there. You have to trust in the promises of God. Jesus, feeling forsaken, cries out to God in the darkness. We can too. In those moments, we have got to trust in the promises of God. Another promise of God is found in Romans 8.28, and that, that basically tells us that 
that this good God can take all things and he can work them together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. The worst thing, the horrible thing, the thing that was meant for destruction in my life, God can take it and make something great out of it. He's done it time and time again. I'm going through something, I'm like, God, I can't wait to see you redeem this. Basically saying it with a lack of faith, like you're not going to be able to do anything with this. This is just a waste. And you just, you put a few days on the calendar, maybe a couple of months, maybe years. And you look up one day and you realize, you know what? Look what he did. Look at, look at what has, look what I've learned. Look at the mistake that I avoided last week because I learned that lesson two years ago. I've just seen God do this time and time again. It is the nature of God to do it. Third thing that when God doesn't make sense that we need to do is we need to trust in his final destination. When I'm grieving, while I'm trusting God, I have to trust in his final destination. Heaven is better than earth. Take your best day on this planet. I don't, you know, birth of your firstborn, marriage, she said yes. You know, you hit the goal weight. I don't know what's the, you know, new car, get that new car smell. I don't know what it is for you that's like the best day ever that you would go, this is just the best day ever. You know, take that day, that day pales in comparison to a regular day in heaven. Not even close. I, you know, I, I know Revelation talks about what heaven's going to be like. I know that there's a, Randy Alcorn's written a book about heaven and how good it's going to be. And, but here's the thing, nobody's ever been and told us about it. You know, I think it's just one of those things that, that till we get there and experience it, we can't even know how good it's going to be. It's just going to be amazing. I mean, think about being in a place where God lives and evil can't live there. That's going to be awesome. I, um, I try not to say a whole lot when I'm in crisis situations. Um, my job calls me into some things that, you know, a lot of people would go, ooh, I don't want to be there. <laughs> to be honest with you, sometimes I don't want to be there because I don't know what to do. And sometimes I don't know what to say. And so I've learned... Um, I don't say a whole lot. I mean, the people, you know, because especially when people are going through the loss of a loved one, especially when it's an unexpected thing. I mean, you know, when our, as our parents get older and we understand, you know, they're not going to be with us forever and they eventually pass away, we kind of, we were able to kind of prepare and get, get ourselves kind of mentally ready for that. I mean, I understand that, but it's when it's sudden, it's when, you know, that they're ripped from us and you just didn't see it coming and you're just, you're, your head is trying to reconcile what they're telling you with your heart and it's not making any sense. And I've just learned in situations like that not to say anything. I, if you watched me, you'd say, well, Brett's not a very good pastor because he's just not talking. No, I don't. I don't say a whole lot. I try to, you know, put an arm around them, make sure they know that they're not alone. I want presence to speak louder than words. And you know what? The, the thing is that these people that are hurting, they love you. And, and when you say, we say something sometimes that sounds so empty and so inane and so not helpful and they love us. So they don't yell at us and they don't say it, not helping. You know, they don't do that. They just, they tolerate, they, they know we're trying to help, but the truth is it's not helping. 
Sometimes really the best thing you can do is not say anything. But eventually at some point, there comes a point where the reconciliation has kind of happened and they're coming to terms with things. And then I feel like there's, there is something that I will say most of the time in a, in a loss situation. I will say, you know, they wouldn't trade places with you. They, wouldn't, they loved you. They loved being with you. <laughs> but trust me, they're at a place where they wouldn't look back and say, yeah, let me go back to earth. They, no. They wouldn't trade places with you. Heaven is just too good. It's so much better there. God is there. It's just so much better there. I have to trust in that. I have to trust in the final destination. You know, when you look back on the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, this man went through all kinds of stuff. This guy had all kinds of reasons to question God and ask God why. He had all kinds of... This is a man who... who was committed to the destruction of the early church. And then one day on the road to Damascus, in a miraculous thing, sees the risen Christ. He doesn't so much see him, all he sees is light, but he hears the voice of Christ. And Christ asks him, why are you persecuting me? It would change Paul's life forever. And he, he, he does a 180. He goes from someone who persecutes the church to someone who's now persecuted. And he went through all kinds of stuff. He had every reason to ask, you know, God, why was I beaten with rods? I'm working for you. Why are you letting this happen to me? Paul tells us that five times he was scourged. Now, that's a word just kind of rolls off the tongue, you know, like it's easy to say that word. Beaten with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. Five different times. Let's just state the obvious. If that was me, Likely, if that was you, all you'd have to do is beat us one time like that. We'd never talk about Jesus again. Nope, I'm done. It would take you weeks, if not months, to recover from the lacerations on your upper torso and your buttocks and your legs after you had that done to you. It was horrific. Five times. Paul talks about, you know, I was snake bit. I was shipwrecked. I was stoned and left for dead. I, 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 you know, I spent many a night in prison, Paul would say. And, and there were nights when Paul would put his head on whatever they would call a pillow, not knowing whether or not he was going to see the next day, not knowing if tomorrow would be the last day he would ever live. There were many times when, when life hung in the balance for Paul. And yet... <laughs> These are the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now, I want you to look at how Paul describes his pain and suffering. It's almost comical. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles, they scourged him five times. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen, what is seen? Cancer, destruction, loneliness, depression, 
pain, fear, abandonment, betrayal. Those things are right in front of me. They surround me. They're with me all the time. They confront me. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We can trust the final destination. Jesus experienced the worst day on earth so that we could experience God's best in heaven. So trusting him and his nature and his promise, trusting him with all that we have, with the, while we wait, while we're in this process of God, why? Are you going to tell me why this happened? Am I ever going to know why this particular thing? I have people come up to me and say, Brett, I'm going to tell you my story. And then they'll tell me and I'll say, why did God let that happen? I have no idea. While we're trusting him and while we're in the wait, we've got to figure some things out. So I want to finish today. I want to give you some practical things that we can do during the why. This will go pretty quick. Yes, we're trusting, but let's get a little more practical than that, a little more specific. And I want to, first of all, I want to start with a prophecy. The prophet Isaiah is speaking about Jesus, and he's basically telling us what Jesus would do for us. This is long before Jesus ever shows up. This is a prophecy we're going to read. And he's talking about Jesus. And, and as we read this, I want you to personalize it. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read this out loud with me. Um, we're not going to read the first pronoun. I want you to skip the word and go to the my, the blue words, okay? So let's read this out loud together. Again, personalize this for you. In all my suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued me. In his love and mercy, he redeemed me. He lifted me up and carried me through all the years. That is what Jesus does for us. He carries us through the pain. He carries us during the why. Today I want to give you three things you can do through the why. When you're asking God why, what can you do? First of all, you can learn while asking the why. Learn. God, I don't understand this. I'm looking for the answer. But what is it that you could have for me to learn while I'm going through this? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. So no matter what's going on around you, no matter what the pain is, God can do something in us. we got to lean into that. we got to figure out, God, what can I learn? Levi Lusco is a, a young pastor. I've read a book of his. Very impressed by this. I've heard him speak. I'm really impressed by him. He's been through quite a bit. He's got a, kind of an interesting story. He's brutally honest. I, I just respect him a lot. But one of the things that's happened in his life is that he and his wife lost a, a young daughter. And Levi Lusco, upon one of the revelations that he learned through the loss of his daughter was this quote. I wish I'd put it on the wall for you, and I didn't. So I'm going I'm to read it twice so some of you can write it down, because this is worthy of remembering. Levi Lusco said, Pain is a passport that will take you places that you couldn't have gotten any other way. Wow. Pain is a passport that will take you places that you couldn't have gotten any other way. Lean through the pain. 
What could God be doing in my life? What could I learn? Well, first and foremost, one of the things that you might learn and one of the things that you have to acknowledge is so you gotta, there needs to be some humility. It takes humility to come to God and say, God, I don't, I don't know it all. I, there's stuff I don't know and there's things that I need to learn and I'm just, I need you, God. I need you to teach me because this isn't making any sense to me. So, Lord, I need you. Second thing that's going on, we can, we can in these trips through the darkness is, is in the desert, we, we come to a place where we, we start learning some patience. We are not good at patience. This is hard. We get angry. We say things. We hurt. And you go through that pain for so long, not understanding but trusting, and then one day you get it. The light bulb goes off. You say, oh, that is so clear. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9, in fact, we expected to die. This is Paul. We expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. We can learn through the toughest times if we will not push away, but if we will lean in. Now, it's intuitive for us to push away. Something doesn't go our way, get away from me. It's counterintuitive to lean in. It's counterintuitive to want to get closer even though we feel hurt. Second practical thing we can do while we wait for the why is we can love while asking why. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's this basic idea that while I'm going through whatever darkness I'm going through, is there, do I have a light that I can shine for somebody else? Can I help a fellow struggler? Can I do something that, that will be ministry for somebody else, even though I really need ministry myself. You could be the answer to someone else's pain. God could use you in a huge way, even in your pain, and he could heal you in it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Well, Brett, I don't really feel like sharing with those in need. And in fact, I don't, I'm not even sure, you're talking to me about Helping somebody else. Who's going to help me? It's easy for you to say, Brett. You aren't where I am. See, here's the thing I want you to understand about me. I've been where you are. I've been going through something in my life and been angry at God and mad at the world, sitting in a pew, listening to a guy on Sunday morning who I felt like had no idea anything about me, trying to tell me how to live my life for Jesus. And when I walked out, I was angry. Who does he think he is? What does he know? He has no idea what I'm going through. He has no idea how I feel. And I resent the fact that he would tell me anything about my life. I get it. I get it. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but it's possible that somebody in here right now is going through a hard time, and I'm up here waxing eloquent, and you're like, yeah, Brett, that's easy for you to say. Just shut up. I get it. Look how this verse ends. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is usually something we don't want to do. That's what makes it a sacrifice. You don't want to do it. right? It's like, I know I should, but I don't want to. God's calling me to, but I kind of want to hang on to this. 
Brett, I don't want to do good. I don't want to share with those in need. I'm hurting myself. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I'm in darkness. And God says, make the sacrifice. That's a form of worship. Make the sacrifice. I'm just telling you, when you do that, something powerful happens in your life. When you relinquish what you perceive as control. See, what, one of the things that happens when we go through all this, we, we clench down on as many things as we can. And we start holding on extra tight. Everything kind of clenches up. And, and the more we do that, the harder life is going to get for us. That's the intuitive thing for us is, is just to clamp down, hold on tighter. I'm just telling you, he will do something powerful in your life when you start to let go of some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, God comforts us in all our troubles. Why does he do that? So that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When you take your experience and you put it to use, trying to help somebody else, you are better than any pastor Cross Lane can offer. Some of you have gone through things in your life that are so difficult and the lessons you've learned so profound things that I've ne that have never touched my life that I don't know anything about that if you were to put me and you in the room with someone that was also going through what you've been through you are 10 times the pastor I am you would be 10 times more effective you would know exactly what to say you would know exactly how they feel you would know exactly what to do and I would just stand there like uh, listen to him If we can figure out a way to love during the why, it will be powerful both for us and for the person we're trying to help. God can bring hope and healing not just to us, but to other people as well. Third thing that you should do when you're asking God why is worship while asking why. Brett, what do you mean worship? I can't even sleep. I'm so upset. I'm so worked up. I, can't, I, I cry all the time. I'm in too much pain. And Brett, I'm, worship, I'm not even sure I believe in God. I'm not even sure he's there. What am I going to worship? You want me to worship? Yeah. If you want healing, that's what I'm telling you. Worship in our deepest pain can bring so much perspective and so much healing. We don't really associate worship with hard times. Um, I think for most of us, the harder times get, the less inclined we are to worship. Whenever I'm with people in really tough situations, sickness and things like that, I'll say, let's pray. And, and I'll, you know, a lot of times those are, God, I want to I help this person worship you. We're here to worship you. And, you know, they might hear that and think, well, I don't, that's not the bread. Ask them to heal something. You know, ask them to fix this. Let's don't, don't worship. Let's get right to the nuts and bolts. But see, that's the whole thing. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to go through something hard and then think to yourself, well, I should worship in this moment. It doesn't, it's not how it works for us. We, they're, they're, they're two completely different things. But I'm just telling you that in hardship, Worship is the thing. That's the place where you encounter God. And God might walk right past you in the middle of your deepest 
disappointment, and pain if you aren't taking some time to seek him out and worship him. He can do some amazing things in your heart when you will do that. But when you clench up and you get angry and you cross your arms, and I'm not going to worship you. And God can walk right by. And you would miss one of the greatest moments in your life. And you would miss transformational things in your heart that could happen because you finally opened it up and you finally humbled yourself and you finally gave it all to Jesus and he did a miraculous thing in you and he opened up your eyesight and he gave you the answer and you saw it all and you were like, oh my goodness, had I not worshipped, I would have missed all that. God can do so much in the midst of our pain when we worship. We think that God's going to meet us in all the fun, happy times. No, you find God in the, when it's all going south. You find God in the midst of the most profound pain. And when you humble yourself to worship, he will show up in ways in your life. You just ask some of the people in this room who've gone through horrible things and that's what they would tell you that God met me when I worshiped Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe there's that idea again for our God is a devouring fire and the way this kind of unfolds in my head kind of the way I see this going on is so, so as I worship God, this devouring fire will burn up my fear and my loneliness and my hurt and my betrayal and my abandonment and my depression, my anger. And, and the more I worship them, the consuming fire of God just starts to burn that stuff up like paper until it's almost not even there anymore. Miraculous. God, how did you do that? You worshiped me. You worshiped me, and we traded out some things. And you, you, you got a little bit of my character, and you got a little bit of my perspective, and you understand that I'm bigger than whatever that is, and you understand that I'm here. The devouring fire of the creator of the universe can bring healing in the midst of great pain. When I shift my focus from the here and now to the him and then, that's when everything starts to change. And I give him my very best even when I don't feel like it. How many times in my life have I gone through things when I did not feel like it? And the pain was there, and I didn't understand, and God, I'm ticked off about this. And I don't really feel like worshiping you, and I, but I know it's the right thing to do, and so I'm going to try to find some humility, and I'm going to try to do the right thing and I'm going to worship and I do and I start to really see God in a completely different way and the chains start to fall off and I can breathe again and I don't feel the pain like I did and I'm starting to understand some things and I start looking out for other people that I can serve and help and God you're doing something in me and boy this is strange but boy this feels good and is the problem there? Yeah, it might still be there, but I've got a completely different perspective on it. And I know I'm going to get through it. I know the sun's going to shine again. 
Some scholars believe that when Jesus is saying what he said in this particular sentence on the cross, that it, it is somehow inspired by Psalm 22. I want to read you some passages out of Psalm 22, and then we'll close. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. David wrote this. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. There's that idea again. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. As you magnify God, as you make him bigger, whatever your problem is starts to shrink. The problem that we have is that we basically get so focused on the problem. Remember, we started this whole thing by keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the key. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But what happens is we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. We put our eyes on our problem. And when we do that, the problem just seems huge. Right? That's a massive problem. I don't know how in the world. I, I, look at how big this problem is. Okay, you're, you're looking at the problem. You're not looking at Jesus. Here's what happens. When you start to worship the creator of the universe and the one who died for you and took every sin away from you and has forgiven you this miraculous thing, this thing we call redemption and reconciliation, and we now have a righteousness that is not even our own, this right standing with God, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. When I focus on that God, I don't care what my problem is, it gets smaller. God gets bigger, the problem gets smaller. Listen, it's about worship, and I'm just here to tell you, real worship is not you being able to sing like Shelby. Real worship is not you being able to pray like Billy Graham. Real worship is even when you don't feel like it, God, I'm going to hit my knees and I'm going to give it all to you and I'm going to praise and I'm going to lift your name and I'm going to put my eyes on you and not on my problem. God, I am going to worship, worship, worship. And the problem gets smaller and God gets bigger. That's how you get through a bad day. That's how you walk through the darkness when God doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. But that's what it takes. Let me pray for you. God, as I said earlier, some have walked in here today and the news they got this week was fantastic and we rejoice with them. Father, my prayer is that everybody walked in here this week with, with great news behind them and and great things to look forward to this week. And it's all up and to the right. And it's just wonderful. And I, that, I, I would rejoice with anybody that would say, yeah, Brett, that's me. But here's what I know, God. Not everybody's in that place. Some people this morning had the unholy hour before the holy hour. It wasn't pretty coming in. Some people walked in here, haven't spoken to their spouse in three weeks. Some people have walked in here, they don't know if they got a job tomorrow. Some people have walked in here, they haven't heard from their kids in a long, long time. They don't even know if they even love them anymore. They, they, they think their kids have completely forgotten about them. Some of them have lost friendships. Some of them got bad health news. It could be, God, it's all over the map. There's so many of us, so many things that can go wrong in the world. Every day we get through life, we got away with something. We're on a cursed planet. stillness 
with our problem right beside us, we focus on you. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And you get bigger. And our problem starts to get smaller. Father, nothing we encounter on this planet is bigger than you. Thanks for his death and his resurrection. It's in his name we pray.